welcome back to the Make It Work podcast. I'm your host, Cluani Saunders. On this podcast, we talk to inspirational people making their own work. So join us, learn with us, and let's make it work. No matter what your role is within that team, you should be able to talk and you should feel like your voice isn't being sort of um, muted. I, if I think a play is going to be really good, I'll try and not see it. Class is very, very, very important to me when I look at work. I don't always manage to put that in my work, but it is something that is integral to me as a person. I mean, I could now think of like, like, like at least five off the top of my head that I'm like, these places would be brilliant to revive now. So like if you're working on a, on a, I don't know, a Shakespeare or a new piece of writing, offset it by going to see a musical. A rehearsal room needs um, lots of tea and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Scott trained as an actor at Arts Ed, was a director on Birmingham Rep's inaugural Foundry program, and last year completed the National Theatre Directors course. Scott is an associate director for Pleasure Dome Theatre Company. He was recently nominated for Best Creative West End Debut at the Stage Awards for his production of Rose by Martin Sherman, starring Maureen Lipman. This year, Rose won an Off West End Award for Best Solo Performance. So thanks so much for joining me today, Scott. You're welcome. I like to start usually with where you trained. I think you went to Artside as an actor, is that right? I did, yes. Uh, many moons ago, I went to Artside, did a three-year BA in acting. Yeah, and um, then I was an actor for a few years afterwards. And now you predominantly direct. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, what was your first step into that field? My first step was I actually directed my first play when I was uh, was 17, 18. And it was attached to um, a youth theatre that I used to go to. I managed to get a bit of funding. Um, It was for... um, a scheme where it was looking at getting young people to work in different areas that they hadn't done before. And that was my first sort of uh, attempt at directing. I say attempt because it wasn't great. <laughs> um, and then You're I... You're 17. Yeah, I was 17. I mean... I'm uh, very enthusiastic. Great. Um, and then I... Um, but I learned a lot from it, actually. It was a really lovely experience. Um, but I then went to drama school. Mm-hmm. I did my training and I was focused on that. And then I I sort of knew towards the end of my training that I didn't want to be an actor. Um, and f- a, a multitude of reasons. Mm. But I, I sort of thought, I think I want to, I'm quite interested in still being part of sort of the theatre world. Mm. But I don't quite know how or where. Um, and I'd done a little bit of work with young people, like community work and youth theatre work and workshops. And so I started to kind of do a bit more of that. And then my one of my directors in my third year, who I became sort of um, acquaintances with, mm. uh, friends with, mm. she uh, asked me if I wanted to go back and assist her on a third year show at Arts Ed which was a really brilliant experience and something that I found massively useful. Mm. And that was my sort of, it was assisting, but it was giving me a taste for what I'm now doing. Yeah. And does make does being an actor make you a better director, do you think? Or having that training? I would personally say so. I think that I know how to talk to actors. I know how not to talk to actors. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's quite important. Oh, yeah. And I feel like there's a there's a la- well, there's a language there's a way of communicating something in a way that feels like you're on a level with someone mm. and there's an ease and I think that for me as a as a director I like to I would never expect an actor to do anything that I wouldn't do myself and I think that's really important. So, yeah, I think it's really helped. And I think that, uh, yeah, there's a way of explaining things mm. that I think you can you can find a, a shortcut or a, a commonality on something. Yeah. yeah. Now, I usually sort of go through someone's CV a little bit and try and, like, familiarise myself with, you know, the, the different steps. But you work so much 
you have directed yes. so much across the years that I, I honestly found it really hard to kind of like <laughs> take it all in. And obviously, there's a few things that I've been to see and there's a few things that because uh, you work also all over the country. So yeah. um, I know you have a, a company that you work for regularly. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Alpen yeah. Air Theatre, I believe. Yeah. So um, I started working for Pleasure Dome Theatre, who are based in Exmoor predominantly. And uh, we started working together. So I uh, started working with the creative director, Helena, Helena Payne, seven, eight years ago. Mm. And we had no idea what we were doing. We sort of went down to the middle of this like cavernous open air space with a lot of um, enthusiasm and hope and wanting to make a brilliant piece of work. And we had never worked together before. Mm. So that was a learning experience. How did you come to meet and collaborate? So I was recommended for the job mm. because someone else, uh, another director had to withdraw last minute. Right. So they needed someone else. And I was, um, my name was suggested by a few people, which was really nice. Obviously worked out eight years later. Eight years later. <laughs> it's worked out really, really well. Yeah. And um, Helen and I, I think we built up because we were we were kind of figuring things out at the same time, I think we built up a way of working together whilst sort of learning more about our individual roles because I'd never really worked in an open air space before. Mm. It was Helena's first producing role as well as being in it. So it was a really big learning curve and one that was very, very useful. And since then, I've directed all of their productions to date, which has been amazing. And we've really grown in size and scale. And we've been given some amazing opportunities to to tour and to work with some within some brilliant buildings. So it's been really good. Mm. And I, I really I really enjoy what Pleasure Dome do as a as a company. We work uh, with a sort of. There's two sort of strands, I guess. One of them is telling Southwest stories. Okay. And um, presenting that to its community mm -hmm. in and around the Southwest. Or taking a story that's familiar and giving it a sort of a Southwest twist. And those are the two big sort of ways of telling stories. But in addition to that, we work a lot with actor musicians. Mm -hmm. And there's also an element where we integrate community ensembles with a professional cast. So it's a really lovely uh, thing that's developed in terms of how we make work, why we make work and mm. what we make. Mm. So that's been a great experience. And it's taught me a lot about how to work on scale. Right, because it's such a, such a big I mean, cast. Yeah, yeah. Huge. Yeah, huge. But cast. also the spaces are massive. Of course, yeah. And how to fill that space. And Do you tour it to different outdoor venues? So uh, we predominantly stay in one place, yeah. which is a place called the Valley of Rocks, which is in North Devon. Mm -hmm. And it's right by the sea. It's beautiful. Mm. But you have to contend with lots of things i have done outdoor theater yeah. i uh, yeah you have yeah. To, you always have to but i can imagine if it's is it right on the yes. water yes wow so lots of unexpected weather <laughs> elements yeah also because of where it's located goats running across <laughs> the stage <laughs> things like that. that really random uh tourists walking around because it's um uh, it's a public space you can walk oh, around right. We sort of, um, we can't stop anyone no. from, from moving around and, and there's, a, there's a right to roam around there, which is really important. Um, so there's, there can be challenges, mm. but also it's really brilliant in terms of the setting. Yeah. It's so wonderful. So we predominantly, we started off just working in the valley and then I would say four years ago, three years ago, we started to make work that wasn't solely there mm -hmm. work that was not just outdoors but also indoors and now we've started to do some touring work but still keeping a lot of the things that feel really important to us as, as centrally as possible so right yeah, it's been a really really great experience yeah one of the things I did notice that was a through line with a lot of the work that you do that is that you work with new writing yes a lot um, I know you have a, a, a an interest in queer stories and solo work as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what does draw you to a piece initially? I know. I mean, as I say, there's a wide variety of mm. things. 
Good, that's a really good question. I think that for me, the piece has to speak to me either something that sort of feels important to me as a person, something that I feel that it could be something about my identity. It could be about where I'm from. It could be about who I am or where I've grown up. It could be any of those things. But also, I think that that it could be that the, the what the writer is saying is something that I've never heard of before in terms of a perspective. It could be... I was talking to someone about this the other day, actually, and something that really excites me about work when I read it is if I think, how would I stage, like, how on earth would I stage this? Mm. Because you think that it seems uh, not unstageable, but something that you think, wow, this is, this is going to be challenging. Yeah. And that's also a real draw. But also I think that there there has to be a, I think sometimes you can just tell things, you can tell stories just for entertainment and, I, and that has a real place and I think that's really important. But when you're making work that is um, sort of really actively trying to d- say something about the world that we live in, I think it's understanding A, the perspective and B, why you are telling that story. And those things feel really, really important to me because if I can't... Um, if I can't uh, give myself those reasons, then I sort I guess I shouldn't really be working on it. Mm. But things like language, if the language is exciting or the, the relationships or just the potential in the writer and mm. what their voice is. Mm. So it's a whole range of things, I think. Mm. And working with new writing, I know you are also, you do some dramaturg work within yeah. the project. How... how how much are you sort of contributing to the process of actually making and constructing pieces when it is a new piece? That varies from piece to piece. So um, the uh, production that I've just finished, just doing a new play in Manchester called Toxic. And I, I, I've been very much part of the process in terms of being there at the R&D process, reading various drafts, chatting with the writer giving my thoughts, mm. but not acting as the dramaturg on it because there were already, um, there were several people who kind of had uh, those roles that they worked with in. But, so that that was, on that project, that was, uh, there were al- there was already people in place who kind of were serving that kind of, I don't want to say function, but that was their role. Mm. Um, but, still feeding in my thoughts whereas there was a play that I did earlier this year that I'd been developing for several years with the writer and I was also doing the dramaturgy as well as directing it and that is something that I quite often do in new work that I that I create or work on I I like that process of being there from a either a conception of an idea or uh, an early draft and talk really talking with the writer and really sort of understanding what's inside their minds and why they're writing the things that they're doing and how to then give them like feedback and thoughts about the things that they might want to develop in a slightly different direction or things that might not be as clear so it kind of depends on each play and really understanding I think what each writer needs as well as what each play needs. So some plays or some writers might really find that structure is a a kind of a strength of theirs, whereas somebody else might feel like dialogue is something that they need to work on. So really kind of pinpointing and being specific about what it is that each person or or piece needs. Mm. So it varies. And that's the exciting thing as well, knowing that each play that you work on will need something different in terms mm. of your focus. And do you ever work with pieces that are devised? Are you working in the room to devise sections of, yeah, of a I show? Mean, or? I mean, um, I haven't... I love devising work. I really, really love devising work. And improv-based work as well. When I was at drama school, improvisation was something that I, I absolutely loved, even before drama school. Mm. I, I, I love um, that sense of going in with a sort of seed of an idea and then making something is really exciting. But I haven't devised as much mm. recently, 
but it sometimes comes in uh, a work. If you're doing an R and D, sometimes there is a devising element where you will throw an idea into the mix and say, "Could we just try this?" And then that might open something up. Mm-hmm. So there is there is a devising element, but working on a devised piece in, in its entirety is something that I haven't done for a long time. Mm. I'd love to do mm. because, again, I think for me as a as a creative, I'm always trying to find something to work on as well when you're going back to what you were saying about how do you choose the work that you that you make is not getting stuck in a in a cycle or a rhythm and going this is these are the things that I always do and always pushing yourself and going how can I how can I try something that I haven't done before Mm. um I'm I'm looking at uh working on a piece next year um I've been talking to um a performance artist about it and uh, it will be a, a piece that's in a really unconventional space that you wouldn't think, you wouldn't necessarily think a piece of theatre would take place. And then it's been a very, very like, very light conversation, but it's really exciting because I think, okay, what is this piece going to be? Mm. So there might be an element of devising around that. So yeah, I, I love devising, but it's not something that we often get a chance to do because I think there can be a bit of a, I think that sometimes, because when something isn't text-based, I think there can be a little bit of a, not a stigma, but it can just be viewed slightly differently. And I think that's that doesn't seem right to me because mm. some of the best work can come from these brilliant theatre companies that, that go in with that seed and create wonderful, rich work. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'd love to do some more device work. Yeah. So what does a rehearsal room look like? Or what does a rehearsal room need, in your opinion? A rehearsal room needs um, lots of tea and coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. I think if you have if you have a kettle in a rehearsal room and tea and coffee, it makes everyone happy. I would agree. I think that's a really important (laughs) thing. uh, working up in Manchester, there was something that we, we had this thing that where um, I'm going off a slight tangent here, but I think it's relevant and it's something I'm going to try and do in my practice going forward. So we uh, one of our we had a big sort of sustainability um, part that was very, um, very much implemented into the way that we were working. And one of our pledges within that was that the company would try and have one lunchtime meal together a week. And someone in the company would bring in food, like a mm. massive batch of food, and we'd all eat together. So that's something I'm going to try and do moving forward. But like things, things like a tea, tea and a coffee is just really helpful. That sounds like a basic thing. But other things that feel really important are, um, I think that rooms should be a place where everyone, no matter what your role is within that team, you should be able to talk. And you should feel like your voice isn't being sort of um, muted. That feels really, really key to me. Like I, it doesn't matter whether you're, I don't know, a lighting designer, you can still have an opinion on what the text is doing. Or if you're a movement director, you might have a thought about sound. And I think if there's lots of eyes and ears looking at the same thing, for me, it creates the, the most... Uh, collaborative work so collaboration is really important Mm. no matter if this team is three people or 30 that feels so so key and I think that so collaboration is important people being able to feel like they can speak and bring their ideas into the room and generate ideas and contribute because I think it gives you ownership as well you know what it's like when you're working on something and you you're you're given that freedom to go, what do you think about this? Mm. As opposed to going, this is what it is. Yeah. And I think that just that kind of alteration of language can really help a room flourish. Mm. And I think that I like there to be lots of laughter in the room. Yeah. And that's really fun, especially if the material is really heavy. And that's really, really important. Um, but thinking about when the material isn't as well, just how it can also bring about... I, I did a piece earlier this year and there were some sections in it and it was really funny. And I 
I remember we were finding it really hard to focus because what was happening in front of us was just so, everyone was really playful. And that's really great to have in a room. People who offer ideas, play and discover. Mm. We discover things together. So I think a lot of it is stuff that feels about collective and shared responsibility or shared ownership. Mm. So they feel like really important things to have in a room. And do you start with a, a group warm up or how do you foster that sense of collective and everybody's in this together? I think it depends. So um, some processes, I'm, I'm thinking, of, I'm kind of going back through what I've worked on this year. Uh, there've been a few projects where we'd start the day with a warm up because the piece is quite physical or it's very ensemble led, which is um, is really necessary, especially um for a, a project where you're really bit having to be very very physical from the get-go mm. but then i there there's been other things where instead of having a warm-up you would just sit down for like 20 minutes at the beginning of the day and just talk mm. not necessarily about the work but like just talk like almost like talking about like your evening or something that you might have read on your way in on the tube or something that is just on your mind which is also really useful. And then finding that moment with which you segue into the work mm. is quite nice. But then also if you're working on a piece where it's very much about, um, it has huge sort of thematic things or um, personal things for people in the room with the material, having a check-in at the beginning of the day. So all of those things have their value and sometimes you can do all of them sometimes you might just read the room and go do we need to do that no I don't think we do mm-hmm. so I think it varies as well like every different room will need again every different room like every different play will need something else and I think it's about being intuitive to that and really understanding what it is putting putting my agenda at, at the door and looking at what this really needs to function in the best way possible I mm-hmm. think feel really key yeah. And what does your prep look like in terms of leading up to a show? Um, I know a director's work starts long before the actors come mm. into that room. Um, yeah. What? I mean, so uh, for for Toxic, the a lot of it was about initial sort of conversations about the script and sharing thoughts. And then when we had the R&D, we started to bring more members of the creative team in to talk about how that piece might look in terms of design. So a lot of a lot of the preparation for that, because it was a new piece of work, was um, look, reading through the piece, having conversations, talking about um, what it might look, move and feel like. But then, for example, uh, I, did, I did a production of Earthquakes in London earlier this year which like it talks about some huge themes and things that for me I didn't know about. And so therefore I had to I had to do a lot of research and look things up. Really knowing what things mean is a big thing. So walking into the room and going, I feel confident to talk about this within a group. Or I know that some directors like to work really visually, so sometimes having or sometimes create like um collect uh, a bank of pictures that are relevant to the things that we're we're referencing Mm -hmm. so each pro again each process is about knowing a very very different sort of um something something that's going to really help the process move in a very positive way Uh, something that i quite often do especially when a show is very big in scale or it's got lots of scenes is really talk through that with the creative team in in as much detail as I can before we go into the room Mm. Um, or if it's if there's a design element that really is integral to what that piece is so for example uh, the piece I did at Vault Festival buff so we had no set we had a chair Um, we had a fixed lighting rig so our main design thing was going to be sound Mm. so I chatted with my sound designer for, we chatted for ages, actually. We'd worked together before and we said, what does this sound, what's the sound of this piece like? What's the music telling us? What's the tone of it? 
and we sort of just bounced ideas for about three or four hours and then we kind of hit on the idea that we were like that's the one so it varies mm. sometimes it needs to be about conversation sometimes it's a lot more about being by yourself and just really working through something like it could be a concept yeah or it could be knowing what that what that phrase means yeah yeah and you were just talking there about um sound designer so this is why i'm asking this question Mm -hmm. um do you do you get to bring people with you that you've worked with and you really love their work or is are you usually sort of presented with a team or does that vary as well yeah that does vary i mean um more often than not you um my experience so far is more often than not it might be someone that i have so the sound designer that I, I was just referencing is someone that I'd worked with on we we met for a coffee just over a year, about 18 months ago actually and it was just like a general chat and we were talking about the things that we liked in terms of work and references and mm. it was quite clear in that conversation that I thought we'd work well together and then uh there was a project that I thought, yeah, this would be great for you and great for us to kind of our first collaboration. And then actually what then happened is we ended up working on two projects together. And then this third project came up and because we'd worked so well together, he was the person that I thought, you know, we built up a really good way of working. The sound is really, really important. So I think there is that thing of working well with people but also knowing that if there's a certain type of designer or certain type of creative Mm -hmm. that you think I think that they would be best suited to this type of project so there have been like so many amazing creatives that I've worked with but making sure that you get the right fit for what you need in that is really is really important Mm. and um the piece that I've just, again, the piece that I've just worked on, it was the largest creative team that I've ever worked with. Mm. And I'd never worked with anyone before, which is a very, very unusual situation for me to be in because if I'm working with a team of people, there'll always be probably at least one person that I, I've worked with before because there's a shorthand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it changes. Mm. And I think that's really... That's really, again, really, really important to me is to have the people that you know that you work with, that you work with again, but also not making it a closed shop and being like, these are the only people that I'll ever work with. So I think it's about striking that balance and Mm. and kind of finding that happy medium with that. Yeah. So what makes a good collaborator? You mentioned that you thought this person was a good collaborator. I mean, I know that varies for people. Some people are like, you need the conflict. Some people are like, you have to be on the same page. What do you think? I think it's both. Mm. I think it's both of those things. I think it's about being really honest when you're viewing something very differently. But then also, I think within that, sort of being able to really talk about why you're seeing it differently. And I think that in your, when you see things in a very similar way, you kind of what that's telling me is you're interpreting what I've read, what we've both read in a very similar way, which, okay, that's going to make, that's going to make this process not easier, but we are already at the, from the, the off, we're already looking at it in the same way. So I think that, and I think collaborate, a really good collaboration is massively about communication it's massively about saying when you're not understanding something or where something's coming from. It's about being able to say, I don't think that this might be the most suitable thing to have there or I don't think that, that I don't know, that lighting state is, I don't understand that. What, what, why is that there? Why, why is that that colour? Mm-hmm. So kind of really, it's about getting in, in, in each other's minds in, in a creative sense and really understanding the decisions that you make. Mm. So collaboration, yeah, it's about communication, but also and it's about a kind of fluidity in that communication. And I think that sort of having a, I've had this idea about this and making a note of it and sharing it back is really useful. So it's, a, yeah, 
communication feels really key. Mm. So I want to move on to talking about Rose, which was a piece that you directed with Dame Maureen Lippman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also got you a, a stage debut uh, nomination. Yes. Yes. And an Off West End award. Is that, am I right there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it won Best Solo Performance at the Office this year. Amazing. Can you tell me how that project came about? That was a lockdown uh, creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was uh, chatting to um, a producer that I know about um, about work and about how work could still be made within the confines of being in and out of um, a lockdown or, mm. and, a, and a pandemic. Mm. And we had a conversation about streaming because... Obviously, streaming isn't a new thing, but the way in which things were being streamed was, it seemed to be evolving in a different way because people didn't have access to live theatre. So what happened was I, I think what happened, we were talking about, we were talking about work and things that might work in a sort of streamed environment. And I think that they were specifically looking for a one person piece. I think from a practical point of view mm-hmm. and a safety point of view, but also when things are uncertain, I think financially it makes sense. Mm. So um, we, we were, yeah, we were chatting about that. And then I said, oh, I, I know this play that I think would be really, really brilliant to revive. And then I mentioned it to them and that's when we got the ball rolling. Mm. And it happened very quickly and very unexpectedly in terms of Martin, uh, the writer, saying yes uh, to us um, streaming it and, and Maureen saying yes to, to performing in it. And then it just, um, it sort of became this thing that I I really didn't anticipate it to be where it is now, mm. not because I don't believe in the work, but because I just thought, you know, after after sort of like the world sort of is shut down, things will just resume itself and that project will be put in a drawer. Mm. And that's why I, th- I genuinely thought that. So I'm, I feel really lucky that it's had such a sort of um, a trajectory like that. But also I think it shows that that sometimes sticking with something can, and, and sort of, Sticking with something and really believing in the the longevity of something, it's not just about okay, that's it, and and allowing that process because the play, the the way in which we kind of um, every time we revisited the piece, there was a different perspective in terms of what it said about the world. So it was a really yeah, it was a surprise, but mm. a really pleasant surprise in terms of working on this piece. So yeah, it was um, a lockdown, an initially a lockdown project where I remember Maureen and I would rehearse in her garden, mm. uh, partly again for a sort of safety aspect because it was it was an open space, mm-hmm. but it meant that she didn't have to travel anywhere mm-hmm. and that there was an ease there. Um, and then when we were just before we filmed up in Manchester, she was back filming. On Coronation Street, and um, I would meet her on days that she wasn't, and we'd sit in in a greenhouse in Media City and just like eat chips and <laughs> to rehearse the piece, and it was, and that's what I think was really that felt really right actually for that piece because it's such a delicate play, mm. um, and it's her in a very exposed way, so building that sort of um, trust and bond in a in a unconventional way actually really worked and I feel like it's paid off Mm. and just uh, out of interest was it you who approached her and the writer or was it the producer the producers yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so that all went through through them and I um I sort of just um (laughs) I went along for the ride yeah (laughs) I was just happy to be there yeah um so yeah they they sort of um led on all of that stuff and I'm also interested because I'm always looking um, 
I'm always looking out for that play that I'm like, I have to produce this. Yeah. Um, where, what, are you just constantly reading plays and just trying to file them away for that day that someone asks you, what are you thinking of doing? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I have two, I get two, possibly three sort of, um, I guess, Rolodexes of, of things. One of them are plays, existing plays. I have like hundreds, I've got a huge library of plays. Um, and there's always plays that I'm thinking, I mean, I could now think of like, like, like at least five off the top of my head that I'm like, these plays would be brilliant to revive now. But then I also have like new plays, a collection of new plays that I think it's a shame that they haven't found a home. So I, yeah, I, I sort of, there's lots of things that I'm always trying to um, get get off the ground, really. Mm. So it kind of, I, I think it's, um, I think I do have quite a good capacity for remembering plays and, and understanding why those plays are, are important to tell. Mm. Um, and I think that Rose was one of those plays. And um, another play that I, 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 I sort of revived, I think two years before Rose, was um, a Simon Stevens play called Country Music. And it was an early Simon Stevens play and one that in the kind of whole catalogue and, and brilliant works of Simon Stevens sort of is one that isn't remembered as much. Mm -hmm. And I think I like those sorts of plays that that can sometimes go under the radar. And you go, oh yeah, that play was really brilliant actually. And doing something like Country Music was, a, it, it's a play that I'd love for like, I think I read it like 15 years ago mm. and thought this is brilliant. And if I, ever I get an opportunity to direct this, I'm going to absolutely seize it. And then an opportunity came up and I thought, yeah, this is the play that I'm going to pitch. So I think it's about going into any meeting. If I have a meeting with a producer or an artistic director, always going in with uh, three or four ideas and then sort of testing them out and going, is this the one that you want? Is mm. this one? And sometimes it could be the last one or the one that is the most left field. That is the one that excites them or interests them mm. so I think yeah always having a few things in your thinking about what excites you why why are you going back to that thing about why me and why now that's really key yeah and do you do you also collect those plays from things that you've seen that you're like oh in 10 years I'm gonna revive that <laughs> that's a really good question that's a really really good question because I try as much as possible this might sound a bit weird <laughs> but like I if I think a play is going to be really good I'll try and not see it oh. because I sort of think I don't want to be influenced by by that mm -hmm. because if that production if that production is really amazing then where do I go <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you've got a lot to that. I mean, a play that I would absolutely love to direct, which I saw, I did see, and it was superbly directed. And I don't know how I would be able to. It's not about doing a better version, but it's just about doing something different because that that version is so etched in my mind. That's what it is. It's because that version's etched in my mind. I saw uh, the original version of Posh. Um, oh. at the Royal Court, Lindsay Turner's production. And it was just phenomenal, mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal. It blew me away. It made me really angry. It sort of made me um, kind of want to go out in the streets and scream. And and, and it really examines privilege in a way mm. that I, class is very, very, very important to me when I look at work. I don't always manage to put that in my work, but it is something that is integral to me as a person. And I think that that is a play that I would love to be able to revive at some point. Uh, but the original production was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> and also then that they then, it transferred and they made a film of it. So yeah, I sort of, I, 
there have been there there was a show that I was there a show that I directed. There's something that I saw or something that I yeah I think there's something that I've seen that I have directed, and I I think I very consciously like uh, separated my thoughts on that piece to the version that I saw. But yeah, it's um, I I try not to see something that I <laughs> really want to direct. I love that. Well, I think that's such an interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a really bad theatre girl at points as well. I've tried to improve because I used to, and actually re refocusing my brain in that way is I think really paid off because I think I don't I don't know if you have this is that when you are I've been sat in a room if you've been sat in a room from like ten till six watching people pretend to be other people and the room's dark or you're in a tech or something like that. The last thing I want to do in an e- in the evening is go and watch people pretend to be other people, oh. and it's not because I dis- I dislike theatre. It's because it's quite it can be an overload. However, I've now sort of tried to reframe that and use that as a way to not think about what I've been doing in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's less about why would I want to go and do that, and more about oh, actually, this gives me a bit of headspace from the piece that I'm working on, mm. which has been actually quite eye-opening. Just that little reframing of that has been really good. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, it, otherwise it could be a bit of a busman's holiday. So, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think it is, and and also seeing something that I've, another thing that I have found interesting is not always just going to see theatre. Mm. So if you're seeing, I don't know, um, I don't work on musicals, but I would love to work on musicals. I do, I do a lot with act musicians, but n- no sort of outright musicals. So, like, if you're working on a, on a, I don't know, a Shakespeare or, or a new piece of writing, offset it by going to see a musical. Or if you're working on um, a revival, maybe going to see a new piece of new writing. Mm. So those sorts of things. So there's a differentiation between the thing that you're doing and the thing that you're seeing. Like I remember working on something relatively recently and I went to see a piece of dance. Mm. So that was a really nice way of still feeling connected to a piece of live performance, but but it's different. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big proponent of seeing uh, the biggest variety of theatre that mm-hmm. you can. You know, for me, it's trying to find people who I can rope into going to see stuff with. Yeah. Them. <laughs> Yeah. Usually just end up going by myself. Yeah. Being like, I want to go see this guy do this thing, you know, in this unconventional space. And mm. it's more. Who pro- wants to go with me? Yeah, who wants to go? And everyone's like, no, blah, blah, you know. Yeah. And then I'd come back and I'd say, well, it's brilliant. You guys missed out. Yeah. You know, that's good. Um. So what is happening next for you? So I am going to Taunton next week. And uh, I start rehearsals for A Christmas Carol. Well, I've sort of started rehearsals already. Um, Our youth ensemble, which are really integrated into the show, they started their rehearsals last week and I was there for part of their rehearsals. But I start the main body of rehearsals in like a week and a half. Mm. So I'm doing Christmas Carol at the Brew House in Taunton. And it's a actor musician led piece with a large, very large youth ensemble that are very integrated into the new version of this story. So that will take me up until pretty much the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Great. And then a bit of a break. Yeah. Christmas, <laughs> around Christmas or after? No, Christmas. around Christmas. Around yeah. Christmas. So I get, get Christmas and yeah, yeah, it'd be really nice. And so if you had some advice for someone who's thinking they'd like to direct something, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I'd say um, think about the work that you like. Think about the things that you see. So if, if, you're, if you're a performer, think about the work that you might be doing that you like and that might influence the sort of work that you might want to make as a director. Uh, but also thinking about if you're seeing work and you're, say you have a very, very different career and you want to step into becoming a director, but you do see theatre, think about the uh, the type of work that you're seeing that you enjoy, but thinking about why you're enjoying it. Is it the writing? Is it the direction? 
being really specific about that might help you unlock some things. So maybe thinking about the type of work is is useful, but also getting started can be the biggest challenge. The first thing about the first gig. And I think it's really important. This is more about my personal way in, which I found useful. And some of it is about kind of subsequent stuff is um, an assisting job is is a good, good kind of foundation and a good way to learn. I learned loads from every assisting job that I've ever done because every director was was working in a different way. And I know that can sound sort of easier said than done. Oh, just get an assisting job like it's that easy. Mm. Because people apply for things and it can it cannot sort of yeah. happen. But also things which is for me a more recent thing is writing to people and asking if you can just observe in their room. Mm. Because sometimes that can take a step in a di- in a direction that you don't anticipate. So I've had a few instances this year where people have uh, come into my room to observe and uh that's that's been brilliant experience in terms of as well those people feeding back about what they've noticed about my process Mm. because I'm always about learning how to evolve and asking those people about what did you notice so observing in people's room can be good because that also isn't that's nothing that's sort of I learn from seeing Mm. so observing for me is a valuable tool. Some people learn from reading a book and that's mm. that's all valid. So observing is good. Assisting is obviously a really useful skill to build and working and supporting a room. But also another way in can be if there's like scratch nights or rapid response evenings where you've got like these small 10 minute plays that are you have an opportunity to be able to present something. So that's also a good way to sort of really, it's a good way to experiment and sort of um, try a rehearsal technique out or uh, work with a type of text that you're less familiar with. Mm. Research and developments, doing an R&D, that's also a way to sort of start gaining experience. So those sorts of things are the ways that I would say you can sort of gain experience or dip your toe without having to do a big formal training. Because I never trained as a director. So a lot of what I was learning was as I was going, all my actor training was something that was would come into play. Because also as well, I think that there's a lot to be said for what you learn as a performer because there's a lot of transferable stuff. The te- so a lot of the technique are things that I learn mm-hmm. um, when I was training, but then also as an actor when mm-hmm. I was jobbing. So I think that there's, I think another thing as well that's really important is I understand that if you're a director, as someone who does do it, I don't do it as much now, but like applying for things takes time mm-hmm. and it can be really really sort of um disheartening if you apply for 30 jobs and then you get a no for all of them so i think maybe not applying for everything like because obviously you have to survive as well you need to be able to pay the bills you need to be able to live so maybe being really specific about what you're applying for that might help because also as well it it's just good to, again, if you're writing to someone, be really specific about why you're writing to them. Mm. Understand why you're writing to them. Did you see that show that they directed or wrote that really said something to you? So those sorts of things I think would are useful. Workshops are useful. If you can participate in workshops that aren't necessarily too expensive, mm-hmm. I think that's also a really useful thing to to engage with mm-hmm. and um, with with companies with companies with um you might have a director that has a, is running a workshop a director's workshop right or you might have a a theater company that might be running a residency of mm-hmm. some uh, some sort of 
capacity. So I think those sorts of things can also be useful. Yeah, I think I think I have a, a perception, and perhaps it's not true that if I haven't already directed a lot, there would be you know scores and scores of people that have and are applying for those same things. There are quite a lot. Mm. There are quite a lot of people, and I think it's um, it's 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 very similar to being an actor. Mm. Like there are lots of people applying for the same thing. I think that the difference is that when you think about being an actor, if you're applying to be in a company of 10 people, there's 10 roles that are available. If you're applying to be a director or an assistant, there's one role available. Yeah. So it's kind of proportionately, it's mm. sort of quite similar. Yeah. Um, I think that um, something as well, which is really important when you're applying for things it's not just about always outlining what it is that you would gain from it. It's mm. also about talking about what you would contribute. That's a really important thing. Yeah. Because it's an exchange. Mm. I will gain this, but I will also offer this. Mm. And that can be just sometimes really thinking, again, specifically about what the application of the brief is. Because if you're, if it's a generic thing, and I know I've been guilty of this, writing a generic cover letter, and then you're like, that's just another cover letter, and people can spot that. Yeah. So yeah, those those will be some of the things that I would say. There's a, there's a variety of things, mm-hmm. but also offering, asking people to meet them for a coffee. Those that that can be that can feel very scary about meeting. Like obviously, like maybe if you're just starting to kind of think about directing, writing to an artistic director and be like, do you want to go for a copper? <laughs> um, that might not be the most suitable thing to do at that time. Mm-hmm. But finding a way or a, a kind of a way that doesn't feel as daunting, but also feels um, achievable mm. might be a way to kind of think about that. Yeah, I think a coffee's always, I mean, people are so willing to help, really. Or Absolutely. just have a chat, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing, having a chat. And if sometimes someone doesn't get back to you, it might be because there's, they're working on something, they're kind of quite consumed with that. Or it could be that they, they might not have got the email. Like mm. Sometimes things go to spam and you, I've had things that have gone to, into like my, my outbox or my spam box and, I go, oh, I'm really sorry. I just didn't pick that up. So Mm. sometimes just giving that a little bit of space is fine. And, but also finding that balance of knowing when to email, how, when is appropriate, Mm. like the time in between emails, just kind of judging that a little bit and kind of being aware and sensitive to that. Mm. It's important. Great. Thank you so much, Scott. This has been really informative. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this new season of the Make It Work podcast. Hit the like or subscribe button to get more inspirational videos like this one. We put more info and behind the scenes stuff on our Instagram at Make It Work Podcast UK. And if you had any questions or comments about the show, you can email us at makeitworkpodcastuk at gmail.com. Thank you.